0: Head to the slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: Oh, I know. You're telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations.
1: In Season 6, our Disease Films series had adaptations like The Omega Man based on I Am Legend, The Andromeda Strain, Children of Men, and Blindness.
0: I Am Legend is so much better than The Omega
1: Man. What about the Will Smith version? Don't get me started. For our This Is Real Life Jack series, we talked Black Hawk Down and Seabiscuit. Some great true stories based on fantastic books. And we had more listeners' choices like The Fly, The Emigrants, and Scott Pilgrim Versus The World. You just did a series on The Fly on the Sitting in the Dark podcast. Did you read the original material?
0: Wasn't watching every Fly movie enough?
1: (laughs) Our Big Betty Davis series featured adaptations like The Little Foxes Now Voyager All About Eve And Whatever Happened To Baby Jane
0: Are you calling Betty Davis Pig
1: Only in personality And force <laughs> She is
0: a force To be reckoned with
1: <laughs> We talked about The entire The Godfather Trilogy Of course Iconic page to screen Even if it is Just the one Mario Puzo book I wonder if Coppola Will ever make The Sicilian
0: We also had some Zhang Yimou adaptations with Judo and Raise the Red Lantern. Absolutely gorgeous
1: movies. And don't forget the Hughes Brothers series with From Hell, based on the graphic novel. Brilliant material.
0: Kelly Reichardt gave us Wendy and Lucy and Certain Women, adapted from short
1: stories. Plus more Hayao Miyazaki as we tackled Howl's Moving Castle. Find all
0: these books and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the
1: show. Get the full list of adapted films that we've covered at thenextreelcom slash originals and start your next read today.
0: the next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that right there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey! And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, the last of the films in our Kelly Reichardt series with her most recent film Certain Women. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at TheNextReel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TheNextReel. And if you like the show, if you're a regular listener, we would deeply appreciate it if you'd support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash TheNextReel. And you know what? Even if you don't support us, head over to Patreon, support someone else to, to keep this podcast thing growing and thriving. Uh, But, you know, support us first. From all of us at The Next Reel, we really thank you uh, for that. And with that, uh, Andy, we've got a blot spot. Friend of the show, Ben Lott, has written in with his rebound
1: on Meek's Cutoff. Apparently, Kelly Reichert likes very quiet movies with no big moments. I have to applaud Meek's Cutoff for effectively conveying the tedious struggle of traveling across the Oregon desert. Unfortunately, at times, it made watching the movie a bit of a tedious struggle as well. The film looked gorgeous and was extremely powerful at conveying tone. It just wasn't a tone that was all that enjoyable for me. Your rank 297, my rank 210. <laughs> Meeks cut off. A metaphor for
0: how you're feeling as you watch it. <laughs> uh, okay. I, we got to get into the movie tonight. But first, Andy, let's do trailers.
1: Who's going first, Pete?
0: Um you can you you can go first. Oh really? Yeah. No, no I we've got no red band, and so it's gentleman's rule, and um uh Andy starts with an A.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> Pete know, starts with a P gentlemen's, but Here we go. <laughs> gentleman's
0: rule is alphabetical. I guess you didn't know that.
1: <laughs> apparently so. Apparently so. Well my trailer, Pete, is uh is Catherine Bigelow's new film, which I hadn't even heard that she was coming out with a new film so when i saw the trailer pop up i got pretty excited um it's her new film detroit and it's a based on a true story of a police raid in detroit in 1967 which results in one of the largest citizen uprisings in the u.s history um it just i watched the trailer and i was like Catherine bigelow has tapped into this this sense of um uh tying her films into kind of uh just kind of a just a a feel, a general feel kind of going on in society or just the, the political situation, uh everything that kind of is going on. This seemed like so timely, uh such a, a smart film to kind of uh push right now and just, you know, you know, make people one aware of this true story, but also just kind of uh use that as a mirror to kind of reflect on our own times. And I really like that Catherine Bigelow does that with, you know, we've we've talked about um a number of her films already. And I think you get a little bit of that in the Hurt Locker, which isn't Based on a true story, but certainly feels like it has some elements of truth as you're seeing uh, the character in the story there. And of course, zero dark thirty, which is uh, based on kind of the true story. and i I just find um her filmmaking has become so energetic and and interesting, and she's not afraid to kind of uh, you know, take a story places um, and kind of push buttons. And I think that this is a great opportunity to do some of that. Um also, I got quite excited about the cast. I mean, aside from, uh, like John Krasinski, who apparently pops up. You got John Boyega, and that's very exciting to see him popping up after a little bit of uh, some Star Wars, a little break in between the two Star Wars films, and uh, then of course Anthony Mackie, who was in uh, in uh, Hurt Locker, and uh, just another great cast. Just a cast of a lot of really interesting actors and and uh, actresses and and people I'm quite excited to see. And I don't know, I just got really excited. I, I felt like this was a really thrilling story that I really didn't know much about. So. It got me excited. What did you think, Pete?
0: Well, you know, I, I it's just I think the tagline for the trailer ends with "It's time we knew" or "It's time people knew" something like that. I I don't have nope. it right in front of me. It's but time we knew, it, right? Yeah, that that's that's pretty much how I felt about the trailer. This is going to demonstrate something or or teach me something that I did not know or understand or had not been able to internalize through my uh you know US history class like we never we never got there and so uh i'm really looking forward to it for that but you mentioned the cast that Will Poulter is one of the most interesting looking dudes like he is a very believable uh, kind of authoritarian antagonist, and I have liked him for a long time. Uh, he he really has he stuck out to me as a young actor in Chronicles of Narnia and uh, Maze Runner, and um, you know, I I didn't see uh, We're the Millers, uh, but he was in that, and then The Revenant, he he was right. uh, he was in The Revenant, and now uh, this as the uh, he, I couldn't tell if he was in uniform or if he was just some sort of a um, mediator or something but he's not a very good one and um, I, I I thought he, he looked very intense so I'm uh, that whole thing drove my interpretation of the trailer I thought it was it was uh, you know the high energy um, and, and I'm I'm very excited about it
1: it's going to be a really interesting film to see, uh, just kind of get a read on, on what people think when it comes out and what it does uh, in general. Uh, it's going to be opening August 4th. It looks like um, right now that's the only release date we have for it um, around the world, so uh, it's not popping up anywhere else. August 4th, 2017, here in the USA. Hopefully it will get a much wider release, though.
0: My trailer, Andy, is City of Tiny Lights. Uh, This is a, it's actually a 2016 film from director Pete Travis, writer Patrick Neat, stars Reese Ahmed, Billy Piper, James Floyd, and others. Uh, I... I found myself really intrigued by this film. It's a pretty sto- straightforward kind of private dick tribute, sort of a, a, a noir, a modern noir. A prostitute goes into a detective on a missing persons hunt. Uh, Riz Ahmed plays the detective, and in spite of that horrific Bourne film, uh, I really like Riz Ahmed. Um, you know, he, he did a little dalliance with, uh, um, you know, Star Wars and, in Rogue One, and he was, he was fine. In that, I I really enjoyed Rogue One, and he was a fine player in it. Uh, But nothing that really jumped out and said, "Wow, you want to see everything that this guy does?" Uh, He was just fine. Mostly, what you love Riz Ahmed for, if you love him, is his portrayal of Nasir Naz Khan in The Night of on HBO, Uh, and uh, he's you know he's done a couple of episodes of Girls, um, and which which I'm not I don't really follow Girls, but uh, I do. I think the night of is absolutely terrific, and he was uh, in Nightcrawler, so he's got a lot going for him. This guy, I think he's he's just his star is just getting brighter, uh, and I really like the look of this city. It is a it's a a portrayal of London that is vibrant and colorful in its darkness, and I really hope that that look lives up to the film's kind of hard boiled hard promise. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I loved the the vibe, the look. It had a real kinetic sense to the whole trailer. Um, I mean, it's a trailer. I know they already are kind of cut that way, but the film it just it has that that presence of it, and I really liked just kind of him in this role. It 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 really kind of uh, lent to a noirish sensibility, and and him as kind of that uh, Sam Spade sort of detective who is kind of like. Uh, just kind of dealing with the the dregs of society, and uh, you know, was just kind of stuck in the middle of it. I really enjoyed that sense of it. And Riz Ahmed, I think, is a really interesting actor. I agree. Uh, I, I haven't seen that uh, that show that you uh, mentioned, but uh, what I have seen, I generally find him quite enjoyable and and memorable, even if it's not a huge part. And so that's what I like about him. And this looks like a really interesting opportunity for him. So. It got me pretty excited. I, I just love the feel and the sense of everything here.
0: Well, and I didn't even mention, you know, director Pete Travis. Uh, he's behind uh, Vantage Point, which was the uh, uh, 2008 film starring Dennis Quaid, Forrest Whitaker, and Matthew Fox, if you remember that. It was a fair film. Uh, a lot of nice intrigue there. But more importantly, Andy, Oh yeah. he is the director behind Dread from 2012, which I think we both walked out of feeling like that's a film punching above its weight. Uh, I loved it. It, there you go i I think it's that is very promising uh and so you know we're we're putting our hands or putting our our entertainment in Pete Travis's hands, and I think that's uh that that is deserved place for it to be city of Tiny lights has already released it released last week in the uk and that's the only release date we have so uk friends uh if you have seen it, please let us know uh, right in we'd love to see uh, to, to get a sense for what you think of this film City of Tiny Lights. Fantastic. I can't read, Andy. The lines are all squiggly.
1: Hey, Flint. What are you doing here? Came to see my lawyer. My wife wants me out of the house. You can't keep coming here. Your wife works for you.
0: No, she's the boss, actually.
1: I wonder how much more there might be buried here.
0: I was so afraid I'd get out of law school and be selling shoes. My mom works in a school cafeteria, my sister in a hospital laundry, so selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family is supposed to get. Certain Women, Andy, 2016. Again, director Kelly Reichardt, writer Kelly Reichardt, based name. on the uh, a couple of short stories by Mel Malloy, and uh, it it tells the story of Certain Women. And those women uh, are Michelle Williams, Kristen Stewart, and Laura Dern, and in in my view, uh, the, the very best thing going for this film, Lily Gladstone, who is just terrific as the unnamed rancher. There are some men in here, we'll get to them, but it really is the story of certain women. This is a, a much different film than we have have seen from Kelly Reichardt in a number of ways, uh, and it it satisfies a couple of my issues with past films that we've talked about in this series, and it's still minimalist and quiet. How did it hit you?
1: Yeah, she very much uh, is a minimalist filmmaker. And it was interesting to see her directing a film that has three stories. Um, I, I think that I kind of enjoyed it. And I do kind of agree with you that this might be the best way to kind of take Kelly Reichert's uh, storytelling. Because you really kind of get the full sense of the story. And you don't have to spend an hour and a half on on it, right? So you get to kind of split that time up. Between three, so each one gets its own <laughs> half hour, and that's really all it needed. Uh, to that extent, I I did like it. Um, I I still think it's interesting, uh, kind of watching and exploring how Kelly uh, tells a story, and I find her a really um, and a director who's really in touch with actors. She really knows how to to have actors handle uh, very little moments. And, um, and I really like that. I think that she's a really smart director and knows how to tap into kind of that inner, uh, the inner voice of the actors and just kind of watch as that kind of unfolds without them having to say anything. I really enjoy that. And I got a lot out of the film um, in that sense. But on the, other, on the flip side, I think her minimalism it can be a little tiresome and it can be a little tough to take. And it's definitely not my favorite type of filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've come down to after these three movies? Uh, that's about it, yes. You
0: know, I, I kept coming back to this point that I, I love that there is this stuff going on in the film, right? I love that she is able to, you know, get such mood out of these actors with this script. I love that she is so attentive to the fine details uh, that, uh, of the performance. I love uh, the the way she is able to sort of integrate the, the landscape of Montana. Anna in this case with the stories that she is telling Uh, and, at the same time i i don't like them very much right i found myself um, kind of stuck in the in the sort of slowness of it and i i just couldn't get over it where this film excels in a way that the other two that we've talked about i i think have struggled is that it's about three shorter stories and each of these three shorter stories i think are, are you know allow us um you know to have enough of a of a narrative shift that uh it, it sort of it, it it fights a better fight at keeping my attention it doesn't always do it all that well and there are some surprises toward sort of narrative neglect like turns in the story that you think are going to go one way and end up going the boring way, uh, that uh, I I'm really challenged by, and and I I wanted to see I, I, the movie as it played out in my head was much more entertaining, uh, and yet I love that these films exist. I love that she's such a patient filmmaker. That um, it, it's just not for me. The way I I've sort of wrote it in my notes is that you know I I really didn't like this movie, but it's not you, Kelly. It's me, right? I mean we're both on the road of life and. We're going on in different directions, clearly, um, because I, I just didn't really connect with it.
1: Yeah, it's it's challenging to connect with, and I I I think that's a good way of looking at it. Is that there definitely is an audience for these films, and you know, I will say of the films that we've watched, I think this is the one that I actually enjoy the most. I enjoyed these characters a lot. Um, I I enjoyed at least two of the stories. Yes. Um, quite a bit. One story I found really, um, really kind of uh, flat and kind Tough. of going nowhere. Yeah. But um, but for I the wonder most if part, it was the same story yeah, I'm curious now. it's just it's just a different kind of storytelling. it's it's a patient kind of storytelling. Um, and I'm just happy that she kind of moved into this this realm of doing multiple stories in a film, um even if, uh, you know, you have this whole sense of of this it's not really a genre, but you have this type of film storytelling where you have multiple stories in a in a film and and kind of see how they all connect. This one, I didn't really get much of a sense of connection between them. I found it was almost like, um just three different stories that happen to be kind of in the same area, kind of passing by each other in the night, uh, so to speak. But, you know, I I, I don't know. It, it actually I was curious about Maley Malloy's uh stories and just kind of I mean I enjoyed these stories enough where I actually I was curious about reading some of these. I thought it might they might be some interesting um, stories to read
0: yeah i'm I'm curious about that too. and to your point I you know i I found the the final sequence, you know, the sort of fourth epilogue sequence where we see these stories uh they're they're very loose sort of circumstantial connections. I actually really liked that. I thought that was a really nice bit. Like it, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel heavy handed. It just served to demonstrate that this is a world in which all three of these things coexist. You didn't, uh, it, it didn't resonate with you all that well?
1: Well, I mean, and, and maybe I missed something, but I mean, really it's it's Laura, uh, Laura's lawyer, Laura Dern's law, lawyer character. Um, her office just happens to be getting a visit by the rancher. That's kind of mm-hmm. that story, the connection, and then uh, um, uh, Michelle Williams' husband is having an affair with Laura Dern. Well, that connects all three stories. Yeah, no, no, I know. It's just I was. That's it. It's, I, it's I, very. It's very subtle. It's very nuanced, it's, right? I it's mean, it's very just subtle. I guess. I guess subtle. my problem. <laughs> it's. It's not that it's too subtle. I mean, I don't mind these sorts of connections. I think that they're interesting. Um, I just feel like um, I, I want a little bit more of a sense of kind of a, is there a thematic connection between them? And I get, I, I, I think that there is a thematic connection between just kind of the, the world of these women and kind of their experiences. And maybe it's just me. I just, I like, like you, it's it's not you, Kelly, it's me. I just like, if I'm having a, a film that has multiple stories, all kind of interconnected and all being told together. What is the reason for that? Is it going to be, you know, is there, is there something a little more than, than this? And maybe it is just the fact that there's just this kind of this subtle connection of these, these women who are kind of in this place in their lives where they're looked at as, as maybe less than because they are uh, a woman and maybe because it's, they're not the, the person that the person on the other end is wanting and they have to deal with that.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I think is interesting. I'm glad you you brought that up. It, it's a obviously a central point in the film, and I, it, one of the 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 reason I I feel like that point was interesting to me is almost the same. Well, it's the same sort of approach that uh, gave me such an emotional connection to Get Out. That this is a film that is demonstrating to me through these characters a side of life from a perspective that I've never seen, uh, and. Uh, in in this case, it is from the perspective of resignation and fatigue that they are living in this world, and that they they have it's it's beyond, you know, sort of the activist sort or or feminist kind of rage uh, that I'm sure exists. But this is a film that demonstrates the exhaustion that comes from having to always be in this space and I think Laura Dern's you know when she's having that conversation on the phone and she says you know I just wish sometimes that I was a man because then I would say something and they would just say okay and I wouldn't have to you know I wouldn't have to in this case spend 10 months telling that to somebody uh, to a client only to have that client go to a, a male lawyer and have him say the same thing and have him say okay well I guess that's it then in one meeting and and I think she says something like you know it would be so relaxing or something I can't remember how she put it but but that is the connection that I, I feel like this movie is attempting to make for me as a viewer and somebody that absolutely doesn't exist in this space right I can't be in this space of 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 that kind of fatigue and that kind of resignation of, having, of being just treated like that um, insidiously and all the time and so on that level this film for me really succeeded I felt like I learned something from these certain women and their different experiences with that kind of sexism right We have it on the job we have a different kind of sexism in the relationship between husband and wife that absolutely occurs um, i I found it uh, I found that part of it um, pretty compelling from a narrative perspective
1: and also from uh, from a lesbian rancher who uh, is you know Wanting, kind of, in this situation where she's falling in love with somebody who just doesn't love her because she's not, she's not the same type of person, right? She's not a lesbian, uh-huh. and right? Right? Exactly. I, yeah, it was, it was very interesting, and you know, the more we talk about it, the more I actually like that element of the film, and I, I think that probably is the connection between these stories and the fact that perhaps they don't have, you know, a big traffic. Uh, accident at the end that kind of ties all three stories together, um, making it feel a little more forced. Maybe that does work <laughs> yeah. better for this type of story. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm biting a little bit more. I think that this conversation's <laughs> helping, which is good. It, and that's why it's always nice to talk about a movie after you've watched it, because it helps connect these pieces. And I didn't have those dots connected, but I like it more now. So, so Well, I'm glad uh, to hear that. Yeah. Uh yeah.
0: what did you think about the just because Kelly Reichardt uh, wrote the script off of these short stories and the short stories were not in the same book they were actually two in one book and one in a in a, a second book and and both links to the amazon uh books are in the show notes um she put so, so the way these things work we have the first story which is about the lawyer Laura Dern's lawyer and then we have the more the relationship story Michelle Williams uh relationship uh, or their marriage and then the third is young uh, attorney Kristen Stewart uh, driving a long way to teach an uh, uh, after hours class at a at a community college, and so those three stories are in that order, and the the third story is by by all rights, uh, I, I think. Uh, it, it's not the quietest of the stories, uh, but certainly not the loudest. To my mind, the loudest story, the story that felt the most like a climax to me, is the first story, Laura Dern. It ends up dealing with a, a very frustrated client of hers who has been um, who who has made some mistakes and and he has been uh, maligned by his workplace and he accepted a settlement too early and now he wants to sue but he can't because he accepted the sell- settlement. He goes crazy and. Uh, well, not really crazy. He he gets a gun and goes and holds, uh, holds a security guard hostage to to attempt to make some sort of a statement. That is the the most exhilarating of the three stories by comparison, and yet it is first. What is your sense of the structure of that? Because I had a real problem with that.
1: Not only is it first, and, and I guess it's it's worth saying they're really not intercut stories. It's like we get one story and then the
0: definitely other story and chapters, then the other story. right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I it's I mean it's funny that you say that uh, I think it, I have a few a few thoughts on this one. You're exactly right. This is the sort of story that would have the hostage situation happen at the end in a different type of uh, filmmaker's version of this, where the hot, the 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 person Fuller take goes into this place and takes a bunch of people hostage, and it happens to also be. Uh, you know uh, Kristen Stewart and Michelle Williams like they all end up in a hostage situation right that that would be kind of how a, a different type of film would tie all these stories together and it, it certainly doesn't happen here uh, and I, I it's funny because I, I think that 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 uh, the hostage situation is such an interesting element to introduce in that particular story but the way that Kelly handles it it takes all the the tension out of it. I mean, it was the least tense hostage situation I'd ever watched. There was nothing uh, thrilling about it. It was just kind of, oh, okay, and Laura Dern kind of walks in. I mean, I didn't have any sense of fear for her. I mean, she they put her in a, uh, 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 a Kevlar you know, bulletproof vest, um, but it was just like, okay, she goes in, she looks for the papers, uh, and then he kind of leaves, and it... it what it ended up doing for me was just it. It ended up kind of really diminishing the whole sense of of tension and climax in that particular story, and it really ended up making this particular character of Fuller, this poor man who had been just through through the ringer with the his situation, um, really made him kind of pathetically comical in in that really kind of sad, touching, poignant sort of way, where he he realistically seemed to think that hey, you go out the front and pretend that i'm still holding you while i sneak out the back and he really thinks that she's going to do that yeah i mean it was it was really sad and but that was kind of the place that he was in and i just felt like that was the story that this was telling is like how kind of pathetic this person this individual had become in in this tragedy that had happened in his life and and just kind of how she dealt with that, but then how she ended up kind of connecting with him because of it. And actually, later we get, at the at the very end of the film, we get that final moment when she comes to visit him in jail. And that ended up being kind of a really touching moment as she kind of has that conversation with him. And I just felt like this was the sort of situation where, I mean, she's the lawyer. He held her hostage. She should really kind of cut the cut the rope and not talk to him anymore. But she doesn't. And she goes and talks to him. And it just felt like there was this connection there that she couldn't let go of. And I found that really intriguing. That you
0: know, and I to to that point, I I feel like the structure of the script, right, having that story first and then allowing the two other chapters, the Michelle Williams and the Kristen Stewart chapters, to play out and then cut back to her, um, you know, going to visit him in prison as part of the epilogue. It does allow us to experience time passing for him. Like when we come back to him, it's it's been long enough that it feels like he's been in jail for a while. And that's, that's really gratifying, again, from a narrative perspective. I think it, it closes the loop for us, which is structurally good. The problem that I have with it is that it is the most exciting sequence in the film. And once it's over, and and to your point, it is not an exciting sequence, right? (laughs) right? It is the most exciting sequence in the film. And I couldn't help but think that it is something that you build up to, and one of the really important reasons that this fil- that this segment really should be at the end, is because Laura Dern is a stinking closer, man. She is a she's a wonderful talent, and I love 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 her character in this. Uh, I, I love the way she portrays it, her sense of exhaustion. I, she's fantastic, and um, and I, I feel like you make it through the first two, which are interesting stories in their own right, you deserve Laura Dern at the end. And (laughs) so I felt like I should have earned that. And instead, it was was just a kind of a slow ride through the last hour and 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And you've got to think that Kelly Reichert, who not only did she actually write this script and direct this film, she also did her editing again, Mm -hmm. as she's done so far in everything we've talked about. You've got to think that she played around with the the order a little bit in the editing and which story is going to be the one that she wants to see up front and which that makes the most sense and everything. And it, it it's interesting that she did take this approach to to putting that up first, because it really is a uh, like you said, I mean, it would be an interesting one to have at the end. It kind of makes sense because, hey. There is this hostage situation, and it's an interesting way to end it because it kind of feels like there's a little bit of a climax. I think what she does by by not putting it there is, is giving us this sense that these stories are really about these character moments, and they're not not going to be about these bigger moments like that. And the fact that the rancher's story is the third story— um, and you have that, for me, it was, it ended up being the strongest climax of all three. After she goes, she drives all the way, the four hour drive to go to the city and try to track down uh, Beth, finally finding her and having that brief um, dis- conversation with her out in front of her workplace, only to kind of realize that her love is not reciprocated and hops in her car and leaves. And just that long shot of her driving away and it just it it just like broke my heart. It was it it just kind of was really uh, just beautiful and touching and, and painful and poignant, and did everything for me that I wanted out of the film. And so for me, I guess that's why I feel that probably Kelly ended up picking that as the climactic story is because it, it felt like there was the biggest emotional climax in that story.
0: That's interesting. I you know I this is one of those films, and and for the first time. Uh, I really felt compelled even though I didn't like it all all that much for all these reasons I did feel compelled to see it again uh, I think this is going to take a couple of a couple of viewings for me to kind of in, internalize some of these choices you, you're right that end is, ends up being a, a really powerful um, you know sort of failed relationship you know a near miss uh, in in many respects in that third. Uh, chapter and and uh, Lily is so good that that I I think she deserves another viewing certainly so
1: yeah Lily Lily really played that scene uh, just to perfection
0: yeah tr- truly uh, do we have anything to add on Kelly as specifically as a director that we haven't talked about.
1: Yeah, I think we've mostly talked about it, but uh, it's just, you know, the sense of minimalism paired with the being able to really pull stuff out of actors. I think uh, it's an interesting blend. And also, I find it interesting how she, what, what details she chooses to uh, focus on. I just want to bring this up real quick because it, it just kind of perplexed me as I watched the film. I mean, there were some interesting moments of some, some great details that we had throughout the film, but the one that really stuck with me this time was, um, Boy, did we watch a lot of the rancher doing her chores. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what was the reason that that was so repetitive? And we had so much of our time in the film focused on watching her take care of the horses. It was an interesting choice to kind of stick with that. And I, I couldn't quite figure out exactly why that was the element that we got of that repetitive nature of that particular story.
0: I totally totally agree uh and uh, you know I can I can make sense of it kind of cognitively right that that there is a that, that there's a choice in there that you you show a lot of these because you really want to drive home the point of the mundanity of this world of this certain woman that this is you know w- we need to be as as much a part of her day to day as she is in order to really understand the level of her grief at the end of the film when she goes back to that world after having this little taste of something different. And, and so I get it. Uh, I, I feel like on that level, um, and, and it's one choice that I'd be interested to hear if I'm, if I'm kind of on the right track, um, but I, I also am not that, you know, I, I, because I didn't, you know, it, it was too much. <laughs> it was too much. I get the choice, but it was too much for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, and I get the choice, too. It, it definitely highlights that sense of the story. But uh, yeah, what would you think of the first shot, last shot?
0: Uh, first shot, we fade in on a wide, high shot of a wintry landscape with a train. We've got a train, Andy. Mm-hmm. And it's coming from the distance into frame. We hold on this shot as the credits play, and the train eventually passes us by.
1: And then the last shot again, it's a static shot. But now we're inside the stable, watching the rancher doing her various chores related to taking care of one of the horses. Life, as we said just a moment ago, continues on in its mundanity.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I thought this was a, I don't know that there was, it, it didn't feel like there was a real sort of um, intentional connection between the first shot and the last shot as we sometimes have. In this case, though, I, you know, I, I feel like the the train, coming back to this train, and what we picked up in Wendy and Lucy, which is what the train represents as uh, a journey into town and an escape from it, that that there is this sort of metaphorical escape uh, that all of these certain women are, are looking for in some way, shape, or another, and, and the train Kind of represents that to me. The closing, uh, you know, when you when you go back to the closing, which is back to real life. We've closed the loop, you know. From it, it, and our, it turns out the saddest piece of this film is that our hero's journey takes us back to the beginning, and it's it hasn't changed at all. You know, we have, we're no different for it. There was no escape. We were not able to get on the train, and and it it's sort of a sense of. of of sadness that that I think washes over you.
1: That's always that's I th- I agree I, I think that's a a great way of looking at it. I think there's a always a profound uh, sense of sadness in a particular character arc where you see your character grow and change over the course of the story, but because of something inside of them, they're they're not able to actually take that step, and so they see that better life now, but they're still stuck where they were. And it's painful and it's difficult. And I think all three of these women really kind of end up in that particular situation by the end of the film. Uh, you certainly see that with uh, with uh, kind of in all their last moments. I think oddly the one that's weirdly has the most hope perhaps is is uh, Laura Dern's story uh, where she seems to kind of have created this connection with the, her client as she visits him in, in prison. Yeah, right. it's interesting. But yeah.
0: but still, he's in prison. Like she was not able to help him, and she was not able to really change her her story.
1: No, no, no. She's still she's still stuck in the same. Yep.
0: A casting by Mark Bennett and Gail Keller, uh, and and you know as we just mentioned, Laura Dern. I I think she's just terrific.
1: When is she not? I mean, she's always right? just really great, nailing it. And uh, I love when she plays uh, characters in films like this because uh, she she really seems to click with finding these these unique little characters and just kind of inhabiting them. And this is a really interesting one. I mean, I, I guess it's not the most interesting of the characters, but she gets some interesting just scenes and I just like her, her moments where she's kind of dealing with things and dealing with Fuller and dealing with uh, the other lawyer and dealing with the hostage situation and just the way she kind of just takes it all in w- by stride. It, you know, it's kind of taking it as she has to. And I, I like that about this character.
0: I did too. I think she's, uh, you know, she she wears exasperation like few actresses. I think she's just, uh, and she's so talented. I I really adore her and anything she does. And you know, Kristen Stewart is growing uh, on me even more with films like this. I think she's um, she's she's a really uh, interesting actor herself. And um, you know, when you look at uh, what was the one she just did, it was uh, like personal, personal shopper. shopper. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've heard such great things about that film, but I have not seen it yet. But, um, you know, she is is one of those actors that's making some incredibly interesting choices after, uh, you know, post mega series um, that I'm really curious about.
1: Yeah, I, I like that she does that. I don't always enjoy uh, watching her. She always seems to have this sleepy presence. Um, but I still I, I still but you think see, that, that, that really
0: g- worked in a film like Cafe Society, which I'm almost sure you didn't like.
1: I, I, I didn't even watch that. <laughs> You're killing me. Killing yeah, I, me. I, I've given up on Woody Allen so many years ago. <laughs> I don't even watch his films anymore. Um, no, but I mean, but I, I like Kristen Stewart though. She does have this sleepy presence, which I think works really well in some situations. Sometimes it, I don't quite buy into it as much. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think she really picks some interesting roles and uh, balances out some of the, the things like the Twilight series. Um, and so I enjoy her in films like this. And I enjoyed her as the character of Beth. I thought she did a great job. She brought a great sense to it. There were some really interesting moments like between her and the rancher as uh, the rancher turns up with the horse and offers to give her a ride down to the cafe and all that sort of stuff. It was just, it, I enjoyed how all of that played out. I did think it was interesting. Uh, Kristen talked about how she, she I, I guess the way that she usually acts is she'll kind of learn her lines quickly, um, but uh, allow herself to kind of alter it. So she kind of adds some of her own uh, idiosyncrasies to her characters. But, uh, but Kelly on this particular film said she's going to have to say her lines word for word, because as she stated in an interview, words are very important to her. I find that really interesting. I don't know why, because I, I I don't know if that surprises me about Kelly, or if it makes perfect sense for Kelly. But yeah, uh, but in the world of minimalist filmmaking, I guess you know every word is really kind of uh, you know uh, kind of a critical little thing because there's not necessarily going to be that many words. So maybe it makes sense.
0: She's got a film coming up uh, that is is filming now that looks to be a fairly. Uh, uh, big budget thing. It's called Underwater Crew of an Underwater, res- a crew of underwater researchers must scramble to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean laboratory. Uh, Jessica Henwick, Kristen Stewart, TJ Miller as Comic Relief, Vincent Cassell. I wonder if he'll be an unnamed assassin. Uh, John Gallagher Jr. Love him. Just about everything. Uh, Mamadou Ati and Gunnar Wright. I, that's actually uh, uh, probably a film like Life, uh, you know, that, that we know how it's going to end and we're probably going to see it anyway.
1: Oh yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: So Kristen Stewart, she's got another. got a couple of big things coming up. Uh, Michelle Williams as uh, Gina Lewis. She is the. She plays the wife uh, in the second chapter of the film.
1: Um, what'd you get? It's interesting that you you approach that character as describing her as the wife. <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, she she. I mean, she is the wife. She's kind of driving that particular scene. Uh, or that particular story. Uh, And she is the wife, but she's...
0: Is that diminutive? Is is that what you think? Because I would refer to him as the husband, but I I, I don't want to... I don't feel like I need to talk about him right now.
1: Yeah, no, it's just odd. It was an odd word to pick. I I don't know. But I mean, she is the wife in that particular story. Uh, This is the story that for me was uh, left me feeling pretty flat. It didn't do much for me um her quest is to uh they they're building this house out in the middle of nowhere and um she really wants this this uh this old old sandstone that is in uh, Rene Arbergenois' yard it's this old uh, not like ancient but it's this this native sandstone that's just sitting out there it was used used in the old schoolhouse from i don't know ages ago and and it's just been sitting there, and she really wants it to be a part of her new house. And she's the owner of her bu- her business. And I thought that was an interesting moment that uh, when her husband is talking to Renee Bourgeois about her, and and says, "Oh no!" And her husband's like, "No, no, I he, she's the boss. She's the one who is the boss in this particular uh, working situation that we have." And you kind of get that. She kind of seems to have this drive and this push and this this focus. Uh, about wanting to get this and doing what she needs to to get this this brick. But at the same time, it's funny how that whole scene plays out because the guy's like, okay, yeah, you can have it. And <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, okay. That was awfully, awfully simple. And I, I don't know. I just didn't get much out of that particular story. I mean, Michelle was fine, but it, it certainly struck me as the least uh, least interesting of the three stories.
0: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I was I was absolutely underwhelmed by this story and uh, like you said, the, the Michelle Williams as the wife and James Legros as the husband uh, I I found at, uh, the story deeply uninteresting and um so it was it was work to get through that until Rene Aubergenois shows up and even his portrayal of this kind of health failing uh, a senior citizen living alone. Um, I, you know, I, I found his that that threesome on the couch. Uh, you know, kind of compelling uh, to watch how that sort of sexism plays out. Uh, you know, the way uh or Albert, his character Albert, kept sort of interrupting her to to talk to Ryan. I thought there was a really interesting dynamic. I think Auberginois is incredible uh, as a as a performer and. Um, it it reminded me that he's out there, and he's still great. Uh, and I God, I just wish I liked this segment
1: more. That's exactly how I felt. And even just the the connection of uh, James Lagrosse's character having the affair with uh, Laura Dern's character, uh, I mean, I could see that there's kind of this this uh, tension between Michelle Williams and uh, James Lagrosse's characters as far as husband and wife. Uh, but, there's just, I don't know, there's just not a whole lot to it. And I just, yeah, this story, it just, yeah, it just didn't do much for me other than seeing Robert, René Auberjonois and just realizing, gosh, I want to see him in more stuff. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that's really all this sequence did for me and uh, bring up the point that, man, James LeGrosse sports a, a nice big beard and Kelly must really be into these big beards now because we already had them in Meek's cutoff and now we have James with this big <laughs> yeah. Great big yeah. bushy beard.
0: Well, and you know, I mean, we, I, you live in a place where I, I imagine you don't see a lot of beards. It's not a place that celebrates oh, the beard.
1: Beards are in Pete. There are, are they even, even even down in here. Arizona. They're cooling th- apparently. Would... <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> They're
0: cooling. Well, I, I don't know about that, but, but I, you know, I feel like Montana, Idaho, uh, Washington, Oregon. We, we're, we're kind of. We kind of corner the market and the country for incredibly well manicured large beards, yes, uh, and yes, and yeah. they're a, a thing of dare I say worship. I saw a guy. I, it was actually a client. I did. I I shot. I took photos of him the other day, and he had one of the most magnificent beards I've ever. I was nearly speechless. It was it was great. It like it smelled of almond oil. Like he this was a man whose face smelled of almonds, and I wanted that. <laughs> It's a weird feeling. I, God, it's too I funny. excuse me, sir. Where did you get your rich smell of almond beard oil? That's what. I, that's the kind of conversation that you have. So so terrible. <laughs> Lily
1: Gladstone as Jamie, the rancher. She's great. Best part of this film by far. Lily Gladstone yeah. was an incredible find for this. She carries so much. Uh, sense of presence and uh, just she carried so much as far as all the subtext that you read through her character. And it really was powerful. I was moved uh, throughout with that particular story. So definitely my favorite uh, in the film.
0: Yeah, I think she was she was terrific. The, the whole sequence of her preparing the horse to, to take the horse, she was so proud of the horse when she wanted to surprise Beth with the ride to the diner. I just thought that was... So beautiful and painful uh, to watch. It's just a great relationship moment.
1: Absolutely, it's interesting that particular. It's interesting that particular character was actually in the book. It was a man. It was a, a man named Chet in the short story. Uh, Travis B was the name of the short story. Um, and uh, and Kelly, I, I'm not sure if because she wanted to title her film "Certain Women" that she felt, hey, this would be more interesting if I made this character a woman. Um, but she did. And so now we have, uh, the rancher and I guess her name is Jamie technically probably in the script, but certainly is never named in the film or the credits actually. But uh, yeah. Um, what do you think of that particular change?
0: Oh, it's of course it's brilliant. I mean, that's, that, that is the only choice now that I've seen it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I think that would have. Um, that, that would have really messed up the, the dynamic there and I think it makes for a much richer sort of texture to that Third sequence relationship, it, it's something that we don't see as often, and uh, we do see a, a, a typical heterosexual courting relationship all the time, and we've seen it in Montana, and we, we've been there. But to see it like this, to see it a, as a lesbian courting relationship uh, that ultimately ends up being unrequited, is something we don't see enough. And I, I really appreciated the way it was it was executed here.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh and finally Jared Harris. Uh God. What you know, you already mentioned it. Just kind of a, a strange thing to see him show up in this film. Uh but I also thought he was great.
1: He was he was really good in this particular role. It wasn't something I I don't know what I expect of Jared Harris. I but it surprised me to see him pop up here. Which is maybe it's just because it was exciting, and I was excited to see him. I always enjoy seeing him in in films, and and I really connected with his character because I felt his sense of frustration being stuck in this situation, um, whatever it was that happened. It sounded like uh, it really just kind of messed everything up in his life, and and created this situation where he's he really feels at odds, and that there's no way out anymore. Um, I found that really kind of touching, and I enjoyed seeing him struggle with this. I thought he was a great actor to carry it.
0: I do too, and he's so not sinister. And I'm so used to seeing him as sinister, right? And uh, it, was, it was such a treat to see him play this kind of character and and remind yourself that yes, big mainstream movies and TV shows may have cornered him and and typed him, but uh, he's a guy with a with a, a great breadth of of skill and. Uh, Uh, I thought he was used very effectively.
1: He was the friendly boat captain in Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So he's not always the bad guy. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You
0: got me on Benjamin Button. There's that, yes. (laughs) Getting it made. Uh, A similar crew uh, behind the production of this film.
1: That certainly seems to be the case. Uh, she seems to bring on a lot of the same people. Certainly the same uh, team of producers seem to consistently be behind Kelly in the films that she's making. And uh, a lot of the same uh, same people that we've seen from... Uh, uh, maybe I I didn't look at the credits from the, the couple films that she made in between. Um, uh, the last one we talked about, Meek's Cutoff, and this one. But certainly we see a lot of the same people from Meek's Cutoff and this one.
0: Christopher Blovelt... Blofeld, again, uh, as cinematography. Yes. Um, he's still a, uh, you know, fits the minimalist uh, filmmaker vibe. Uh, and Andy, I, I gotta say, finally, after three films, I'm just gonna say it out loud. The first film, the darkness was, I you know, it was, it was kitschy, it was moody. And the second film, the darkness was okay, but I can't see what's going on. And the third film, it's just annoying. Like, light the scene, people. I can't see what is going on on screen and i deeply want to see that and i was frustrated
1: yeah i completely agree it was so frustrating that it's just like i okay I, I get it you like dark scenes but why there's there's no point in us not being able to see you know you have these great tools to make it look dark and it doesn't have to be dark but we can still see what's going on Uh, the the hostage scene was uh, the one that was really the most frustrating for me because Uh. it's just like, I I mean, okay, she's digging through files. I mean, I get it. Probably none of it was that uh, important in context as far as uh, what I needed to be getting out of the scene. But at the same time, it's like I should be able to at least be getting a sense of what's happening without it being so muddy and dark all the time. So I, I get very frustrated with that. And I, I do find myself wishing that her camera work wasn't always so still and just, you know, not moving. I mean, she pans as a vehicle drives by here and there and stuff like that. But still, at the same time, it's like, I don't know, try something, do something a little more interesting. I just feel like, why are we focusing on doing it this way?
0: You know, I I feel like I, I heard a I heard some... I can't remember where it came from. It was just the other day. uh, I was watching another uh, writer uh, who had asked the question... Who was asked the question... You know how do you how do you keep trying new things and uh, you know delivering new new stories and new narratives things that we haven't heard before and the, the first part of the answer is there's nothing we haven't really heard before it's just all interpretation but then the second one was the the most difficult thing that we can do is is forget what we know and what we have achieved in the past for at the expense of our success in the future and you know it, it's it's a chef learning to forget a recipe so that she can do something brilliant Who cook the same resultant food in a way that is new and rich and vibrant. It is a a writer who is forgetting, um, you know, how to put together a a potboiler of a, of a novel in order to write, um, you know, something in a different genre or style and, and, you know, forego the things that have brought them success in the past just to try something new. This film, I couldn't help think about that as I'm watching this film that, I don't feel like the the style or tone over however many, you know, eight years that we have have watched these, you know, over the range of these three films has changed. Right. It's still camera work. It's still the same sort of reliance on Nat sound, uh, less so in this film than the first one. Um, but it's still there. It's Still, the darkness and you know you come to at least I feel like we have uh, in the number of series that we do you come to expect to see some change some evolution of filmmakers over time and I'm not I I haven't seen it this film to me does not represent that Am, am I completely out in left field here
1: no I think I think that makes perfect sense so yeah she hasn't had that sense of kind of growth in her filmmaking, other than, I mean, maybe with the characters, and you're just getting a lot more out of some of these actors. But but still, as far as a filmmaker, somebody who is, is you know, telling a story with film in the world of cinema, yeah, she's not doing anything new or different, other than shooting on film, apparently, because she said that snow appears flat in other formats, but then, of course, there was hardly any snow in Montana when they decided to shoot this. But still, other than that, it's like... There's, there's no new, there's nothing changing. I mean, the only thing that has changed is that her darkness is not as muddy as it was back in uh, Wendy and Lucy. Um, but it still is just unnecessarily dark and it's frustrating. It's almost like she's kind of created this own kind of Dogma 95 sort of sensibility about how she wants to make a movie and what, what a minimalist film is or something. And she keeps mm-hmm. sticking with that even though it's not helping.
0: And and I think that represents a central frustration in my experience in watching the film. In spite of all the things that I really like, is I I deeply want to see something new uh, and different. And I'm not talking about the story here. I'm talking about the way the film presents itself on screen. And and because she has taken such uh, ownership of so many different pieces of the film as a filmmaker beyond director, uh, I I I feel like. She, you know she also owns the responsibility to evolve those roles right and and to do something new as an editor as you know the just as she does as a writer and i think her writing has changed and your point about uh about you know the uh character work i, I think her taking a, a greater degree of ownership in writing and adapting these three stories i think you see a, you know a, a, a Get an even better sense of who she is. Uh, you know, i I asked the question if she was an activist filmmaker when we talked about wendy and lucy. and and I think this film makes an even uh, starker point uh, that you know, there she does have a a position that that we need to learn uh, as a result of watching this film. She's holding up that mirror for us to observe something in in these three stories that is important to her. And I think she she pens these stories well. Uh, but goodness, when we're talking about production, uh, there are some things that are downright fatiguing to watch.
1: Yeah, that in particular. I mean, you know, the production design, hair, makeup, costumes, all that stuff. I think uh, works effectively. You know, it's it's not as um, interesting, I suppose you could say, as Meeks' cutoff, only because that's that's kind of an interesting period sort of stuff. And I, I think it all works fine. But um, but yeah, I think that the camera work is is really kind of the area where I feel like. Uh, and just the sense of what she can do with it and, and, and the sense of how she can tell a cinematic story. I, I'd like to see more of that. I do think she, that she's somebody who uses locations effectively. I and mean, I, I mean, I like the locations that she chooses, in montana i i found that it was nice and and kind of the bleak landscape and just kind of the different areas that she shot in were interesting it 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 didn't scream out like um like there was another sense of subtext as far as the different locations she chose but i still think that she she found effective locations to kind of uh convey some of the loneliness of these particular characters
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, she's been compared to, you know, great Western poets or, you know, some of my favorite Western writers, right? Zane Gray or Larry McMurtry, right? I mean, these are, these are people who know how to portray the landscape of the West. And I think she does a, a, a great job of, of appreciating uh, the, the, the landscape in, in film. I, I, I like it. And in that regard, you know, I mean, that's a, that, that sort of pairs with this, uh, the choices around cinematography, around, you know, really appreciating the, the, the scape. Uh, of uh, the the land in, in the camera, and I I think there are there are pieces of that that she does really really well. So you know, Montana as as part of a character, I think it it works particularly in that third chapter uh, where the the ranch hand's identity is so inextricably connected to the land uh, that that was really effective for me.
1: Yeah, and actually that ties into uh, another element of just the the sound, and I I thought that um uh, tied into the location how as the the rancher is kind of making her long 4-hour journey to the town where or to the city I suppose you could call it where Beth is from you get this interesting sense of uh, of of place conveyed through the radio signal that she's actually picking up in her <laughs> yes. little truck And how for the first couple of times when we're cutting, because it kind of cut, 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 as she's driving from place to place, you get just kind of static and then little bits of radio coming in. But by the time you get to the town, it's like, you know, full on radio signals. I liked that. I thought that was a great way to kind of convey that.
0: I did, too. I I thought it was really great. Um, In terms of um, music, uh, we've got Jeff Grace. And it's, again, it's kind of a minimalist score. You uh, weren't so much of a fan?
1: I mean, I like it. It's just, it's just, uh, maybe I just like having a little bit more score. I just feel like there's so little of it here. Um, And there were some times where I felt like, you know, I could have used some score, perhaps again, going to her minimalist style. She just isn't somebody who wants to have the score kind of in certain places, kind of telling you what to feel. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe I like that. I just like having some of that in there. Um, uh, But I do like what's in there. I like Jeff Grace as a composer. He's done some interesting films. Um, And I do like the music here. It's just, it wasn't anything, um, I guess there just wasn't enough of it for me Maybe my issue.
0: It feels much more like just sort of practiced riff work, you know, like there's a great sort of meditative guitar riff and it's played again and again in a meditative way. And that appeals to me as somebody who's not very talented at the guitar. Uh, and so it's the kind of thing that I sit down on the couch and just play for a long time because it's all I can do. And so I when I hear it in <laughs> movies, I think, hey, I can kind of do that. And maybe that's why I connect with it <laughs> musically. <laughs> how did uh, how did it do an award season?
1: Uh, this was one of those films that did get, uh, I mean, it had 13 wins, 44 nominations across uh, primarily a lot of just individual film festivals where it played at. Uh, but some of the bigger one is the Independent Spirit Awards, where it was nominated for Best Director, um, Kelly Lost to Barry Jenkins for Moonlight, which I think we probably both agree is uh, is the appropriate choice in yes. that particular case. And uh, Lily Gladstone was nominated for Best Supporting Female, which I think is fantastic that she got the recognition out of this film, For cer- certainly for a film that is more of an ensemble. It was great seeing, uh, seeing somebody get singled out, and of them, Lily, as the person who did. Uh, but she did lose to Molly Shannon in the film Other People, so didn't win any Independent Spirit Awards. Also out there, there's the Women Film Critics uh, Circle Awards, and it ended up getting a good number of nominations. It didn't win anything. What was interesting for me was the the categories that they actually have at the Women Film Critics Circle Awards. Um, They have the Courage in Acting Award, which they nominated Lily Gladstone for. She lost to Rebecca Hall for Christine, which um, I still haven't seen that, but I, I am really curious about that particular film. Um, the Courage in Filmmaking Award, Kelly Reichert was nominated for that, but that went to Ava DuVernay for 13th, her documentary. Um, the Invisible Woman Award, Lily Gladstone was nominated for that, but it went to the Women of Hidden Figures. And then in the uh, the other awards, they have Best Movie About Women, that went to Hidden Figures. Best Movie By a Woman, um, Kelly Reichert was nominated, but it went again to Ava for 13th. The Best Woman Storyteller. Uh, also went to Ava DuVernay, and the best female images in a movie, but that went to Hidden Figures. So a lot of really interesting categories, didn't win anything, but it, was, it kind of uh, excited me to learn that uh, this uh, this organization is out there and that they have these awards. You
0: know, I, I, th- I think this demonstrates how deeply conflicted I am about this movie, that I didn't th- connect with it or like it very much, but I am still so satisfied that it is
1: in such great company in award season. Do you know what I mean? I found it a really compelling film. I think it's probably, for me, the one that I like the most out of Kelly's films. Um, it's yeah, a really interesting yeah. story. A uh, lot of stuff going on here. And I think her strength is telling these these little stories and I think it worked in a, in a way where she was able to do three in one
0: <laughs> yeah I well and this was a, a point I made about the first uh, you know Wendy and Lucy I think Wendy and Lucy would have been a a wonderful film as a part of a of a trio of chapters like this one uh, as a standalone film it, it was you know a, about you know, I don't know, 60 minutes over long for me. This film does exactly what I wanted, right? It gives me a whole movie, but it gives me three pieces that as movies, you know, in and of themselves would have been way too long. But each one of them is made better by the other two. Uh, so I I found that, you know, much more satisfying. And, and I'm with you. Of the three, this is definitely my favorite. Uh, how'd it do in the box office?
1: Well, somehow Kelly managed to get another cool $2 million. To get this film made, Uh, despite some financial struggles with her past several films, apparently she's got a group of supporters who really just want to see her making more movies. Uh, The film was released on only five screens October fourteenth, two 2016, opposite The Accountant, Kevin Hart, What Now?, and the family film Max Still. It did uh, end up making it up to 138 screens, but still never made its money back. It earned $1,068,054 domestically, which actually is Reichert's first film to break $1 million at the domestic box office. So I guess to that end, there is there is growth in her career. Um, and sixty-seven, just over 67000 internationally for a total of uh, about $1.1 It means the film had an adjusted loss per finished minute of $8,000. Uh,
0: where does that, of the three films, do you have the three uh, per finished minute because they all lost, right? If I recall,
1: no, no, no. Uh, Wendy and Lucy actually made money. Wendy and Lucy brought some money in because that one was made for such a little amount yeah. of money. And I, I find it interesting that she's had such bigger budgets these uh, these next couple times. Because I mean, if you look at the film, Certain Women has been the biggest box office loss, losing um, more than eight thousand per finished minute. I mean, it just there was a big loss with that one. I I would have thought it was Meek's cutoff, but that only lost about one point three. Or 1300 per finished minute. Um, but it also had a budget of, of $2 million. So somehow that one did end up making more money at the box office than certain women. But if you look at Wendy and Lucy, uh, that film ended. I mean, it had, you know, that. Again, it boils down to the budget. It had a budget of $300,000. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really small budget. And that.
0: If you get any distribution on that film, you're going to make money.
1: Yeah, exactly. If I were an investor looking at the types of films that Kelly makes, I would say, okay, I'll give you $300,000 to make that movie because I can get a return on my investment with that. I wouldn't give her 2 million because you're not going to get that investment back. I Wendy and Lucy made more than 15,000 back per finished minute again because of its budget. I mean, yeah. if you look at the grosses, yes, okay, let's see. Wendy and Lucy, the total adjusted gross was about 1.5 million. Meek's Cutoff made just a hair over 2 million dollars, like just barely over 2 million and uh and certain women, I mean, yeah, it just it it it's at what did I say? It's at one point one. so it's, yeah, I, when you're in the circle of these kind of low budget character stories, it just doesn't seem like something you want to put a lot of money into.
0: You know I it, it, this gets back to filmmakers and I like Danny Boyle for example who I, I know is not the only filmmaker to say this but it, he certainly speaks about it quite eloquently uh, when he talks about the, the how he suffers when he is given too much money and that uh, you know he says that he is at his best when he's making movie at a mo- at a more modest budget and you know when he, he talks about films like um, I, I, gosh what was it that he got he, he got more money than he had in the a long time he watched just listening to this interview I can't remember was it Life Less Ordinary Uh, maybe no I because that was um, no it was the beach it was the beach oh yeah Uh, which was just uh, crazy for him coming off of uh, train spotting and a life less ordinary, and here we are doing the beach for a lot of money, and he said as a director it was a, it was a disaster he wasn't it, it was too much money um, to to you know make a great film and so uh, that's one of those lessons that even though he's in a a very different sort of um, budgetary kind of echelon than Kelly Reichardt at this point we, the same comparison, you know, may hold, right? I I, I don't know if, from an investor's perspective what you what you make of that, but it it certainly certainly feels like, um, you know, too many too much money spent on choices that maybe didn't need to be made.
1: Well, and I guess the question is what. I mean, what are they spending the money on? I mean, you're obviously getting um, more caliber actors performing in the film. It's a better looking film. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would say that both of the $2 million films looked a lot better than the $300,000 film. Um, but, you know, there's not a sense of, of growth in the storytelling uh, when you're increasing the budget so much. So I, I think that for me... Would be the, the the sticking point is that I want to see a little bit more of the growth because they look essentially like the exact same type of film.
0: I think it's time, Andy, for us to rank it. Yeah, let's do it. Head over to slash the next reel or just swipe over to your show notes in your podcast player there and you'll see the word flickchart. If you tap it, it will jump you straight over to certain women on flickchart.com. You can add it to your list of films and let's see how it stacks up in our ranking.
1: All right, first up, we have certain women. Or The Road Warrior. Well, I think it's The Road Warrior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely more of a film that uh, I think appeals to both of us. Mm-hmm. Certain Women or Atlantic City. A little bit of Louis Mall. I'm, um, I'm kind of a fan of Atlantic City. So I'm I, I am
0: too. One. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm Atlantic City.
1: Certain Women or Gone with the Wind. Um, I have issues with Gone with the Wind, but I'm still going to pick it because there is a lot of sense of filmmaking going on in that film. I'll give
0: it to you, but I'm bitter.
1: (laughs) I'm bitter about it. (laughs) Certain women or Marty. Oh, geez. Certain women. I actually... Yeah. Certain women. Certain women. Going back to that, Marty is an interesting film. I I kind of like... No, it's not. Still. No, No, it's not. Listen to me. Listen (laughs) to me. I kind of like Marty. It's an interesting one because I think that it could also uh, benefit from... A, a, a truncated story. Uh, a lot. Well, yes, I agree with you, Andy.
0: On Just that, we are yeah. in
1: violent agreement. All right, next up certain women or the crazies? I'm the crazies. I, I'm certain women. Really?
0: Yeah. Like hard? Yep. I'm not that hard on the crazies, so you
1: can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> certain women or your favorite film, Pete. Yee yee, a one and a two. Certain I women, please, me. Andy.
0: Certain women, and I. Yes, we're playing to rock, hard, paper, scissors. This one.
1: Jeez. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, and one, <laughs> one two, two, three. Rock, rock, scissors. rock, scissors, rock, paper, 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 paper. paper, scissors. paper. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's the new way we play this game. I like it. Okay, that's going to really help. <laughs> Okay, Yee takes that one. Whew. Jeez. Certain, I know. Certain Women or Key Largo. Key Largo. Key Largo, please. Mm-hmm. Certain Women or We're No Angels. That was a nice uh, movie. I'm going to pick We're No Angels. Yes, you are. Certain Women or Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut. Also me. a nice movie.
0: Yes, it is. These were our very early holiday movies.
1: Ah, yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, that does it, Pete. Puts it at 271 out of 298 on our chart. That's just a few spots above Wendy and Lucy, and of course, uh, we have uh, Meeks cut off way down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it you know, in terms of the ranking of the three, that feels about right to me. Uh, in terms of the ranking on our chart, I think that demonstrates that we are not uh, probably in the core audience, although there is a lot to appreciate on this film in particular.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot to appreciate. I actually think that this is one that I would watch again. I really enjoyed the characters, particularly that third story. I almost feel like I would just skip over the the Michelle Williams, uh, James LaGrosse story mm-hmm. and just go from the first story to the last story. Yeah. Um. I, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, kind of what Kelly was doing here. And I feel like, if anything, I feel like there has been a sense of kind of that growth in in honing in a little bit on those character moments. And I really think that it benefited her telling a story that had three parts to it. Oh,
0: yes. Huge. What's this do for your letterbox ranking?
1: I, you know, I I really was going back and forth on my letterbox ranking. Was it a three star? Or was it a three and a half star? I ended up settling on three and a half star. I think uh, kind of mainly after this conversation, I feel like there's more to it than I initially got out of it, and I definitely appreciate that. And it's a film that I think I would revisit again, so I gave it three and a half stars.
0: I, I'll give it three and a half stars with you, and I think a large part of that is because I think there is a lot going on that I uh, I feel like I'm interested in others' opinions on it. I think she's telling a really interesting story around particularly latent sexism, or kind of that uh, that that uh, uh, stuff that I don't see, and I'm interested in, in watching this with Other people who are patient film uh, students.
1: Here's a question for you, Pete, something that we never, never have discussed at all. But for those of you who use Letterboxd, you are aware that Letterboxd not only lets you do a star ranking, but it also lets you do a like. Do you like it or not like it with a little heart? Um, Which I think is really interesting because you can like... A a two-star film, but you cannot like a five-star film, and I think that's that's the yeah, that's
0: the guilty pleasure critical consensus tool. I
1: like that a lot. Yeah, so I I feel like we should. I feel yeah, I I heart that too. I feel like we should start using that. Um, Okay. I don't. It's going to be tricky because obviously we're going to have to like how are we going to split that if if the two of us disagree um, alphabetically? uh, (laughs) Yeah, alphabetical. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen's (laughs) agreement. Uh, Yeah. So, but you know, let's do it. I, I would say that it's three and a half and I liked it. I mean, I I, I,
0: I, f- I would have I, said uh, three and a half and, and leave it blank, but I, I I since I don't know how to split it and it was your idea, I
1: will let you do this this week
0: without fighting.
1: I feel like if I like it, it's a film that I'm, I'm inclined to go back and watch again. You know, yeah. I feel like there's something there and I'd be willing to look at because I okay. found myself getting something out of it. So to that <laughs> end, I feel like you would say you liked it awesome
0: yeah no. okay i like it then i agree with you <laughs> i agree with your interpretation of me <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's all that matters pete that's all that matters
0: <laughs> uh, excellent uh all right andy well this was this was a treat and now we have what i imagine is going to be a uh, a hairpin turn
1: of a tonal shift uh where do we go from here for our next series yes we're going to be kicking off a new series of three films directed by chilean filmmaker pablo Larraín that have come to be called, I guess it's his unintentional trilogy, not something he actually planned, but uh, he, they've kind of all ended up taking place at the beginning, middle, and end of uh, Pinochet's dictatorship in Chile. The three films we'll be looking at are Tony Manero, Postmortem, and No.
0: I am very much looking forward to these three films, uh, particularly watching them together.
1: Yeah, and particularly because I haven't seen any of them. So it's yeah. it's uh, certainly some films I've heard about and have piqued my curiosity, so now I have the chance to very much looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. And do you did you want to uh, mention our note on Tony Monero in particular?
1: You know, I don't know if uh, if it's that critical, but certainly the character Tony Monero in the film is uh, really kind of a huge fan of Saturday Night Fever and kind of has patterned himself after the character Tony Monero in Saturday Night Fever. So I I think that you and I have both agreed that we're going to watch Saturday Night Fever before we jump into Tony Manero. We're not saying it's required, but it certainly could be something that could help inform that particular film for you if you choose to watch it follow along with us.
0: Uh, And I think that that's going to be exhausting. And so I I better get my rest, Andy. I've got to go to bed.
1: Oh, I hear you, man. I got a long drive ahead of me, four hours. But, you know, first I'm going to go hit the diner and uh, eat a burger. I hope it doesn't put me to sleep.
0: Amazon was not able to giveth, Andy. Amazon didn't.
1: It kind of hurt.
0: It hurt. There is no... We we found no entry for certain women on Amazon, and therefore, uh, none of the internet was able to comment there. However, the internet did come out to Rotten Tomatoes. So this week, Rotten Tomatoes hath giveth, and uh, we've got a couple of reviews from audience reviews uh, over there. Um, and I... Should we, are we going to go up or down? <laughs> <in our> ranking. <laughs>
1: We should go up, don't okay, you Okay, so why don't you start as... A, a, okay, as, so uh, yeah. I've got Nunya B's review, which is a half star. Absolutely terrible. The only redeeming qualities about this film are the wonderful cast, who must have struggled with such a piece of crap, pointless storyline, which they acted on beautifully and the gorgeous scenery which was captured so well that I actually felt the cold Montana air while watching it. Those are the only reasons I gave this filth a half star. Otherwise, it would be zero or negative stars. This film is completely boring and pointless from start to finish to the point I was angry at the person who made it. I signed up for this account on Rotten Tomatoes just to write this review and save everyone two hours of their life and skip this one. I'm the guy who loves weird movies and boring dramas that nobody else likes, and even I hated this one. That's saying a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and and we should say that this is I and you, I don't know how to sort on
0: rotten tomatoes we're clearly not regular rotten tomatoes commenters or or reviewers but uh there are a lot of really positive and touching reviews uh on on this film. Oh and yeah and there are just... some that are sub <laughs> sub one star at a half star. Mine is a one star from Tom and he says, "You know, it's a real snoozer with no hint of a plot." <laughs> Great for dozing on transatlantic flights. So, certain women or Dramamine. Uh, you know, I I did pick one critic review from Camilla Long at the Sunday Times, who summarizes it all fine detail. And no fun. And I, that really resonated with me uh, after watching this movie, that it, it is a real celebration of fine detail, and the points that I'm missing in the narrative, whether they're happy points or dramatic points or sad points, there's nothing fun uh, that, that comes out of it as a viewer. And I thought that was a, a particularly astute comment.
1: Very much so. Very much. I agree. All right. Thanks, Rotten Tomatoes.